Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our Moxie on. Hey, Christina. See, it's cloudy there in California. That uh, makes me sad. No, not too bad. It's just uh, overcast. A little bit. A little bit, but overcast. it's good. It's good. It's been windy. I'm well, not feeling like 100%. <laughs> I know. Everybody, Christina may not be as crazy as she usually is today, but we're determined because we have a guest today that we really... I mean, we did not want to reschedule if at all possible. Right. We value all our guest time and we, <clears throat> we try not to do that unless it's absolutely necessary. And um, I've had COVID. I'm afraid Christina may be punching her um, her admittance card on that today, but we're going to get through this. And I'm really excited about this episode because I think I'm going to learn a lot. How about you? Yeah, I, I, I believe so. And, you know, going through this experience already with uh, numerous uh, family members and myself, I, I think that this is just something that people need to talk about and people need to prepare for not to be like a over, over preparer. Is that even possible? But just to have some well, semblance you know, of understanding in some ways that may not have been why you've heard it talked about today. So we want to welcome our guest, Portia Wood. She is a generational wealth planning attorney. And what I love about that are those words, generational wealth, because I think a lot of us give, you know, or I will say some of us do give thought to our lifetime, but we've really not looked into how you protect wealth that you accrue. And that's a whole different ballgame than you getting through your time at Shady Acres or you being <laughs> able to pay your own bills, how you protect what you've created to be able to pass it to your children or your dog or whomever you choose. Um, you know, that's a whole different story. And this girl is doing some amazing work. Now, I do want to give her a shout out that... Um, for today's show, we're talking about everyone, but she's doing some specific work with some marginalized communities mm -hmm. and some minorities. And I don't think, I'm going to ask her, but it's my suspicion that that was needed because those communities didn't often have access to the resources that other communities have as far as planning for you know, any kind of wealth management, retirement, generational wealth, um, you know, passing on all those things. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that just to see what she's doing today and where she comes from, because I was really intrigued to read about that. So welcome to the show, Portia. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited yes. to be here. Are you ready for this? Um, Are you I'm ready? I'm ready, Gail. I'm ready. You got dumb <laughs> and dumber over here when it comes to these things. We don't like to read all the directions. I'm just going to be honest. So <laughs> Portia, um, we're going to you've got some great information for everybody, but I just, in knowing a little bit more about you, I want our listeners to know kind of who you are and what drives you. I did not know this when we chatted before, but you're actually in a law practice with your mother, who is also an attorney. Tell us about that. 
Uh, well, you know, it's, um, it's a joy, right? We, we, we deal with families and we deal with intergenerational wealth and we actually are an intergenerational family that's female led. Um, there are very few female lawyers and even fewer black female lawyers and even fewer black female lawyers that deal in intergenerational wealth. And so, you know, we're one of less than 1% and we get to work alongside each other, which is great. So it's a lot of fun. Cool. See, my children have not chosen to follow in any of my footsteps. So I cannot <laughs> imagine. And I just think that's, you know, as a, as a woman, going to an, a law firm that was a mother-daughter law firm, I mean, you hear this father-son thing all the time, you know, so-and-so the third, you know, attorneys <laughs> at law, but you're the first one. What about you, Christina, mother-daughter law firm? Ever heard of that? Yeah. No. No, never. And and I think it's pretty cool because, you know, sometimes mother-daughter relationships can be a little a little funny, you know? And can you imagine arguing with your mother and she's an attorney? Can you I just know. imagine what that's she, like? She probably would always win. Let's just say that, you know? I've I, got I, some kids that need to be attorneys. <laughs> they are underutilizing their skills. They either need to run a crime syndicate or be an attorney because oh. they can argue. Yeah, so did you get that growing up? There you go. There you go. Um, you know, actually, no. So my mother originally started um, her legal career right out of college. And she left um, law school after her first year and got married and had kids. And it wasn't until I was actually applying to law school that my grandmother found one of the handwritten drafts that she had done originally. And it was, you know, about wanting to... Um, do her part in the civil rights movement and growing up and watching it on TV. Wow. And so I actually signed her up for the LSAT. That just gave me chills. We were in law school together at the same time. I graduated no before way. her, but she finished. Um, she finished a few years after me. So okay. she had been in a nonprofit world um, yeah. really dealing with, you know, very well done sort of trusts on the charitable planning side, seeing, you know, multi-millionaire, billionaire families leaving leaving assets behind for charitable causes. And so she was on that end and I was in litigation. And what I kept seeing from the litigation side was people losing. And I kept talking to her and saying, you know, you know this stuff really well on this side and I know this stuff really well on this side. We should We should join forces and really talk to people because we're losing too much for things that are, that we don't have to. I, can we just, I <laughs> can we just rewind? Like, I think that it is so cool that your mom went back to her little girl dreams. You know, we talk about that yeah. here at Midlife Moxie and to be able to do it with your daughter, what an awesome bond. And then to have a practice together. I mean, you have to feel so proud and honored you know, yeah. uh, all together. I think that's so, I mean, that just is such a beautiful story. <laughs> I, I'm like, oh my gosh, who is this boss babe? Like, I want to <laughs> meet her, you know? I mean, I think that's just, I mean, Gail, what do you think? Like, isn't that just so beautiful? Like, I think it's, it's another testament to the changing, <clears throat> yeah. um, dynamics of women in these days mm -hmm. that you're going to see more and more women and women mm -hmm. partnerships, women and their sisters in business, mm -hmm. women in their, you know, and that's not something 
because I know in my own situation, like I was never raised to go into the family business. My dad had a family business. My brother Mm. probably could have, and he did work there in the summer a good bit when he was going to school, but they would talk shop. No one talked shop with me. My mother was a stay at home mom. And I kind of feel like that's a missing element. And there's (sighs) almost a missing element of respect there between like my parents and I, you know, when you can talk shop with somebody and you understand what they do, like you can have a little more respect. Like my dad, dealt with engineering and draftsmen his entire business when my brother goes to Georgia Tech and is on the dean's list and becomes a mechanical engineer. So he understands what my brother does and he knows how brilliant my brother is. And you hear him talk about what an amazing engineer my brother is. You don't hear him talk about what an amazing podcast I have. He probably doesn't even know what a podcast (laughs) is. So I do think there's a beautiful thing that we've missed out on is women. We've not been brought up typically to go into family businesses or, you know, we weren't seen as joining the family law firm or things like that. So I agree. I think this is very special, but I also think it's very special that you are. And let me just be clear to our listeners, because you may not be brown, polka dotted, gay or whatever listening today. Chances are you're probably not. We have a lot of middle-aged, mid-sized white women listening out there too. This is not going to be about anything involving race, but I do want to just take a moment and acknowledge that we have minorities who are building wealth for the first time. And I imagine that they are clueless about how they then pass that down. Whereas I think people of white persuasion, we're used to being, having things handed down over the years, land, businesses, money. I think it's more common. Am I wrong, Portia? No, I mean, you're right. So I would say that that people, particularly minorities, have been um, building wealth for generations. One of the biggest impediments is that we haven't really been keeping it. We lose the majority okay, of our okay. earned wealth Better in the generation transfer um, at the generation transfer because those tools are not really taught anywhere. They're not taught in school. They're, they're not taught in college. Um, mm-hmm. Most law schools don't even offer it as a requirement. Um, it's an elective in many law schools. So even people who have had the opportunity to to get a legal education, if they haven't opted in, they probably don't know this information either, at least know it well. And so, um, you know, a lot of this is, is dinner table talk, like you said, talking right. shop around right. the house. And... Um, you know, it's important to remember that particularly African-Americans in this country were the property that were a part of other people's estate plans. So, yeah. you know, people mm-hmm. were the wealth that were being passed down in other people's estate plans. And when that ended, and that I want to be clear, like, here's the estate plan. <laughs> here's the formula. If your family wasn't of means and had not accumulated wealth and things that could be passed on generational, generationally, that would not have been the dinner table talk. If there, you know, mm. if you weren't raised amongst right. people of money and means, what I have also found, even amongst people who do have money and means, that that everything has changed about the landscape about how we protect our wealth. Mm-hmm. Because growing up, my parents would have said, "Always invest in real estate. Can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. Baloney. Now you can go wrong." <laughs> so, other than mineral <laughs> rights in Texas, I don't know of anything that really hasn't changed about the way we keep and protect our money. You know, my generation is the first generation to really grow up 
um, looking at the 501ks versus pension plans. You know, my dad and his generation, they, a lot of them still had retirement plans and pension yeah. plans. In fact, my husband, he's a little bit older than me. He's already 68 and he actually is drawing a small retirement pension already from a company that he worked with early, early in his career. And that's the way they had it set up. So I think our generation, particularly those of you who are midlifers, everything that you may have even learned at the dinner table chat may be wrong. So let's get into it, Portia. You ready well, to roll up those sleeves? And, Cause we're going to sling it around everywhere. And here's the thing. Let's, let's start off too, cause I really want to um, let our listeners know, Portia, where do you, where's your practice located? And do you practice all over the, all over the state? You know, like just talk to us a little bit about that. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Ahead, so yeah. our so our firm actually operates in California, Maryland, DC, and Virginia. And then we have referral partners all over the country that we can we can send people to. So if you're nice. looking for information, you're looking for someone to to talk to in your area, we can definitely recommend people uh, all over the country. Awesome. 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 Now I want to say, give the disclaimer. This is not legal advice. We're going to talk about what Portia knows. These things can vary by state. We'll get into that. Mm -hmm. So don't go move all your money based on what we three say today. You got one educated person, two ding dongs. So take that for what it's worth. Oh, gosh. And also, you know, it's important to remember that everybody's individual circumstances are different, too. So yeah. if you're single or you're married or you have minor kids, or you have adult kids, yes. you have special needs beneficiaries, your situation is going to be different. So we're going to talk about generalities. So nice, before we nice. really talk a lot about money, I want to talk about three legal documents everyone should have regardless of their age, wealth, or health, because I think this is really important. And again, this has changed over the years with OSHA and the way our medical system works. There's a lot of things besides financial that have changed in the way you have to protect yourself legally. So we're going to talk about legalities and finances today. So more... Uh, uh, Let's go forward on that. Portia, three mm -hmm. documents everyone should have. Yeah, absolutely. So we always say if you're over the age of 18, there are three things that make up the foundation of your financial home, right? The first is going to be your property power of attorney. And depending on where you're listening, right, what jurisdiction you're in, it may be called something different. It might be called a durable power of attorney or a uniform statutory power of attorney. But wherever, whatever it's called in your jurisdiction, it effectively is a document that allows you to name someone to take over for you if you can't handle things for yourself. Let's think a car accident or, you know, with this pandemic, COVID-19, you're in the hospital. Who yeah. pays your bills, right? Who accesses your bank account? Who makes sure your mortgage or your, or your rent is paid so you don't get evicted? Someone has to be legally authorized to do that. And a lot of people wrongly believe that it's their spouse automatically or their parents. And the reality is your spouse does not get access to a bank account unless they already had access to that bank account. That's right. If, in these day and age, people keep things separate all the time. And so if they don't have access when you have capacity, they don't have access when you don't have capacity. That's right. You have to give it to them. So number one is your property power of attorney. Number two is your healthcare documents. So it's your healthcare power of attorney, your medical directives, et cetera. And after that, someone has to be legally authorized to make medical decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself. Same thing. COVID-19, car accident, et cetera, right? Now, 
if you do not have those two things, then you have to go to a conservatorship or a guardianship proceeding. And if you have to go to a guardianship proceeding, then a judge has to decide who gets to do it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. There's so much there, right? So many things that um, we're talking about. And Gail, I had this happen. I had this happen when we had to put my dad in the hospital. You know, the insurance well, I companies. I these things can happen. Yeah. When you're young, you don't perceive things like car accidents. And it may not even be a car accident where you were legally out of your mind, but you may not have access to your accounts, to your bill pay systems when right. you're laying, like in ICU, they don't just bring you your laptop and tell you to go right. to work, you know, right. you may not can lift your head enough to, you know, there's all kinds of things. Plus, let's not forget that when you have surgeries, you're in an accident, these things happen you're not in your faculties always as far as you may not have brain damage, but just if you had surgery, you may be doped up on oxycodone and you may be writing checks to everybody who knows, you know, one slip that bill pay and everybody's got your coin, you know, let's just be clear. So let's do the third one in this. Let's go down back and I've got some questions on all of these. So what's the third one? Absolutely. Well, the third one is going to be your distribution plan. And that's really about what happens after you're gone. The first two are better all known about as a will. Live. Is that better what we would just basically or call a will? Trust or, or a multitude of trusts. It may include a foundation. It might include businesses. The, the thing that's oh going to depend, gosh. right, is going to be <laughs> You're gonna laugh your family structure. Okay. Tell the truth. When y'all watch PBS and you hear oh, them Lord. say, da, 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 foundation, didn't you always want a foundation? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you were a child, even when they played those films at school, I was always thinking, man, I want to have a foundation. Something told me from a very young age, those people are rats. I mean, <laughs> come on. I just had to say, okay, I want to go back to the it's property power of attorney. Yes. And you called it yes. a durable power of attorney. Now, does this have anything to do with it being revocable or non-revocable? Or can it be, it can be either or if it's durable so, so you're going to want in, in our jurisdiction, right? It's a, there's a uniform statutory power of attorney that is used to give power for real estate transactions and things like that. <clears throat> power of attorney is always revocable because you can remove that power at any point in time, as long as you have capacity and are alive upon death, a power of attorney is immediately so, terminated. Mm-hmm. So it no longer exists, which is why you need multiple pieces for estate planning uh, a power of attorney on its own is not enough. It's one piece to the puzzle. Um, and then same for healthcare. Your healthcare agent is it's revocable. You can always remove it. And you typically want more than one, right? You want to have at least three to five people in successive order because what happens if your power of attorney is your spouse and they're in the car with you? Oh, yep. Yeah. Right? And now you both are incapacitated. Who makes decisions? We're back in court because we didn't have a backup. Um, you want to make sure that we have backups to our backups. You know, that's so now, crazy well, because, uh, well, let me see this because I didn't even think about having backups to the backup to the backup. You know, it was always like my, for, you know, my dad, it was my mom, myself, my sister, but 
you know, never like five deep because we knew that my mom, God bless her, but, you know, we didn't want her to be put in that position. So it was always pretty much like me, then my sister, but nobody, nobody else. And for you to say that you need to have like three to five, that's, that's like, that's like really prepared. If all y'all are going to be on this, <laughs> if you're all going to be in the same car or on the same yeah. airplane, you better have somebody else. Right, right. <laughs> well, you've got to think about it, right? It's so unlikely. But there was a family reunion and they were on a boat and the boat capsized. About 19 members of the same family all died at the same time. And so while we don't think about that as happening and while that is a freak accident and, and is uncommon, it does happen, and then what? Right? Wow. Then what? Um, and the first two things that's really important for people to understand has absolutely nothing to do with how much money you have. Zero. Mm-hmm. It does not matter Correct. whether you have ten cents or ten trillion dollars. The concept is the same because you still need someone to care for you. It's all about how you live with autonomy. The third one that we were just talking about, the distribution plan, is what <laughs> depends on how much money you have. So for clarity, the first two are what's going to happen while you're living. The last one's what's going to happen when you're gone. Is that clear? Yep. Is that so correct? And it's your okay. whole estate plan. Okay. I want to go back to this terminology of revocable and irrevocable because in some of the states I've lived in, there were such, some things that were irrevocable. And is that language, is, that, are, is there an irrevocable power of attorney? It's not necessarily an irrevocable power of attorney, no, because if you're granting it, you can always take it back. Even if your faculties are not still, like if you are experiencing dementia or something like that, um, is there a way that that becomes irrevocable or even if you have dementia, it's still revocable? So you can't revoke it if you don't have capacity, right? The moment you no longer have capacity, you can't change that because you, you're not within your, your faculties. Yeah. The only thing that could take that away would be the court. And that would really be because someone is engaging in bad practice or bad faith. Okay, wait. So that, that brings me to another question. Have you, Portia, watched that movie? Uh, on, on, Netflix. on Netflix, you know which one I'm talking I about. I a lot. I, ha- I do, I do, and I have. Oh, yes. oh my What's gosh. What's the movie? It's uh, say it again, Portia, because I can't remember the the name, it's but I watched I it. I care a lot. It was it is, horrible. Yeah, it's horrifying. I freaked. So it's about a I freaked conservatorship. Out. Yes. Yeah, I and, freaked out. And unfortunately, out. there's a lot of elder abuse that exists um, in our society, and so when we're thinking about it, you know, especially our senior citizens, we have to make sure that they are protected. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a a lot of manipulation too, whether you call it abuse or not, it's manipulation. And, you know, if people can manipulate and then you sign something and then you become incapacitated and that's kind of what I've seen. I mean, where that's what you got stuck with. Um, Even I I knew of a case, um, it was actually involving somebody. I'm just not going to give you more details than that, but they married, but the children, a power of attorney was assigned to the children of, of one of these partners, and they were able to prevent that person as they declined from seeing their husband, had him barred from the 
Shady Acres home for no reason, just because they could. And it became a really ugly situation. So these things, I don't want to scare anyone, but you got to really think these through forwards and backwards. And that's why it's great to have these attorneys involved because they've seen it all and they can see what would go wrong that you're not going to see. Okay. I want to talk about the healthcare power of attorney because y'all, this is the person who gets to decide if that little power button's unplugged or not. I mean, this is for real. (laughs) Yeah. If you were brought in in a car accident, unconscious, Mm -hmm. what kind of measures are going to be done to save you? Especially if you even came in a car accident, maybe you're pregnant, they're going to be able to say, save you, save the child kind of decisions. Right. Um, If you're under anesthesia and they come upon something while you're under anesthesia, you cannot make decisions for yourself while you're under anesthesia. So they would be making those decisions. So this is big stuff, right, Portia? Yeah, it is. It's big stuff. And the thing that people um, sort of get confused by, right, is your healthcare power of attorney really should just be your voice, which means your advanced healthcare directives, right? The the what you want to have happen mm-hmm. should be mm-hmm. written down. And That's do you need both the power of of attorney assigning someone and the directives together? That sounds like your your highest level of protection. That would be our recommendation because your healthcare mm-hmm. power of attorney really should just be your voice. They should be speaking your wishes. It is really right. hard, right? As a family member to decide whether to unplug another family member, yes. someone you love. Yes. You don't want to have to decide, well, would they want to live like this? How long would they want to live like this? Because you're leaving this person who's left behind to think about, oh my gosh, am I killing my family member by unplug? I mean, that kind of emotional turmoil is terrible. If you don't want to be on a ventilator, Write it down so that yeah. they can say this is their wishes. I, I will tell you, Portia, from my own experience with this this particular thing, um, my dad was intubated and then got off of the ventilator, came home, and ended up getting to the point where they were like, well, he's going to be intubated again. And before he you know, lost consciousness, he was like, I do not want to do that again. You know, I don't want to do that. And we we felt as a family that it was not going to be the best thing for him because we didn't think that he would be able to make it out of out of that. And it would just prolong the inevitable. And so I I was the one that actually had to to say you know, no, we're going to go ahead. And and that's a hard thing. But you know, Christina, what's thing. beautiful about that, these documents not only protect what you want for yourself, right, right. but they do protect your loved ones from increasing the burden they're carrying and the pain yes. that they're carrying. Yes. Because when you know what the person wanted and you're only simply executing what they've asked for, that's different than you having to make that's the right. emotional decision. That's right. Um, and you knew what he wanted, so you're simply carrying out his wishes. So, guys, yeah. if you're sitting there th- you're thinking, I don't really care what happens to me, think about your loved ones. Yeah. Because when they're standing mm-hmm. there over your body, to put that upon them is just so unkind. And it's yeah. kind of you not taking care of your business. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you know what? I'll tell you, when my husband and I did our trust, they had that part in the trust. And they said, well, 
you know, my husband's like, nope, just the, I don't want to be resuscitated. And I mean, I just started bawling in, in the attorney's office and they were like, do you guys need a minute? And I'm like, why would you say that? Like, you could probably be fine. <laughs> you know, and he was like, I'm looking out for you. I don't want you to have to bear the burden. And I was just like, Okay, you know, but it that's hard. So do you get people like me that are you know emotional time. wrecks? Yeah, all the time. But, <laughs> but listen, the reality is estate planning is about A, your legacy. But yeah. B, it's really about the people you leave behind. It's the people you love, it's the people you care about. It's how do I take care of them? Yeah. You know, how do I make sure that they're okay? Because your husband may be incapacitated. We're not gonna put that on him, but in that situation, if he were the person who's got to bear that responsibility, both emotionally, physically, financially, is you. Yeah, yeah. You have to do it. And if he doesn't make a decision and if he doesn't write down his wishes, that adds that burden and that stress to you. And if yeah. you guys hadn't written it down, you'd be in the courthouse asking a judge for permission while grieving your, mm. your husband and while fighting for this. And maybe the judge says no to mm. what you've decided. And now what happens to you, right? Or maybe mm. you have children who are adults who disagree with your decision and they challenge in the court or you're in a blended family and it becomes this other complicated issue. Oh, the reality wow. is, you know, it, it can keep going and spiraling and leave a family in a mess. So many families splinter and fracture with an illness or a death. Mm -hmm. Because there's no direction. And everybody has this perception that what I think is right. Oh, right? yeah. Maybe it's my relationship yeah. with mom was different. Or, you know, mom and I had all these conversations. And so I know best or, you know, whatever. I'm the oldest, so I should do it. Right. Everybody's got I their know own what she wanted. I was her favorite. You can just I hear me. Exactly. <laughs> hey, listeners, Gail here. Oh, hang on, hang on. <sighs> Sorry, felt a hot flash coming on, but I hit myself with my Mojo Wellbeing Quick Cooling Spray and I'm instantly feeling better. Mojo Wellbeing has created an entire line of products made just for perimenopause and menopausal women. These include things like Collagen Restoring Serum, Redness Reducing Serum, the Quick Cooling Spray, and their newest product, Hair Thickening Serum. You're going to want to check them out at mojowellbeing.com. That's mojo, M-O-J-O, wellbeing.com. Products made just for you to help you get your mojo back. Well, hey, Maxitas, it's your girl Gail here. And I just wanted to ask, have you checked in with your vagina coach lately? Yes, I said vagina coach. Oh, you don't have one? Well, you may need one, and we have one for you. Kim Vopney is the vagina coach. Yes, you heard us right. And if your pelvic region is not in tip-top shape, then you need Kim Vopney, the vagina coach. Her proven program uses exercise to restore your pelvic area to good function. And that includes helping you with things like prolapse and incontinence. Nobody wants that, right? Well, here's how easy it is to connect with Kim. Head over to your app store and download the Buff Muff app. 
That's Buff Muff, B-U-F-F-M-U-F-F Muff. Kim will help you get your pelvic area in the best shape of its life, and you too will have a Buff Muff. Now back to the show. Well, now here's some other things to consider from someone that spent 10 years in medical care. You do need to surrender these documents to your healthcare providers. They need to be part of your medical record because in the moment, there may no be, there may no be no power of attorney person staying there. They may be in another state. You could be in another, I mean, no telling with the medical, record though in these universally connected medical records if it's in your medical record it can typically be located if you're going in for surgery take copies of these documents with you provide them to the staff upon admittance because don't assume that the person who is your designated medical power of attorney is going to be standing there at the time some of these decisions have to be made so your directives you should have a bunch of copies of those and give those out freely. So distribution plan, wills, and trust. Well, let me say this. What else would <laughs> you is, want to know about the, the power weeds. of attorneys? Let me go back to the power of attorneys because I believe you should notify anyone you're making a power of attorney, right? Portia? Yes. Please don't write people down and then not tell them because yeah. that is a rude awakening when someone's like, I'm sorry, I have to do what? <laughs> what what now? Um, Ask them if like, they're but, willing ask them if they're willing. Yes. And, and many people will say yes, but ask them if they're willing, really, not just in the hypothetical world, but like in the event, something actually happened to me. Here's know, what I want to know. Of taking a, taking are you going to just take a phone call and have me employed? Are you coming down the hospital and get your eyeballs on me and make sure what I look like? That's the kind of power of attorney I want. I want you to come down there and put your eyes on me and make sure I'm not coming back. And we should provide these people the documents, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I always tell my clients, you can make a digital copy and email them because then mm, they're always with them. People nowadays have their phones everywhere, right? And if yeah. they can go to their yes. email and pull it up, it's right there. Our documents say in them that a copy is as good as the original. And so just having that digital copy is going to be enough um, in, in our jurisdictions for someone to be able to say, here, I'm the person who can do this. And like I said, we always do at least three people in successive order. So if the first person on that list is not available for any reason, the next person should each, they should all have copies, right? And you just never know when you're going to need it. It's very helpful to I put just, it in your medical record. I cannot record. imagine three people. I, know, right? I trust this much. Goodness. <laughs> but you well, know, you okay. well we're, not putting, we're not putting our kids, clearly. <laughs> no minors. Wow. But, but you know, okay, so the, that's good to know. The paying okay. your bills part is really important because those can be short-term situations where, like you said, you were in a car wreck or, you know, even if you maybe were like, I have a friend who is in Italy right now in quarantine. Uh, she got COVID while she was there, can't get back in the country. Oh no! If she had legal matters, would a power of attorney apply in a situation like that? Power of attorney could apply. If she needed to pay no. bills and stuff. If she needed someone okay. to be able to access her bank account and things like that, she could issue a power of attorney. So there's different types, right? We often do ones that are springing, which essentially means that somebody needs to be incapacitated for them to become effective. That doesn't work in all jurisdictions. I know New York doesn't have that um, kind of authority where you can grant that. But in California, you can do a springing power of attorney. If she's stuck in, in Italy and can't handle her affairs, she can give an, a power of attorney that becomes effective immediately. And then even though she's got capacity and she's capable, 
she's going can grant someone the authority to handle certain affairs for her if that's what she needs. And she can limit that authority to just banking or to just real estate or to just something. Oh, so it doesn't that's have good to, to know. be a, a broad Can power it be limited like by situation? Like you could so, say, if I'm ill, if I'm out of the country, if I'm... Eh, not so much, right? So you could be like, if I'm incapacitated, I want to grant someone all of these powers. If she needs assistance with, you know, a real estate transaction or a banking transaction, she could give specific powers for banking right now and say, here's a power of attorney. I'm authorizing you to make banking transactions. It's important for people to remember, though, that giving away a power of attorney is giving someone access to your bank. That's <laughs> right. They can go into your bank account. And they are not supposed to do anything wrong. But if they did, you gave them the authority to do Mm -hmm. it. So you've got to make sure that you really trust the person that you're giving this power to. And if there's ever a time where you don't want this person, right, you've got to revoke the power. And you have to revoke it in writing. You have to give them notice. Well, so I'm just thinking about our children. You know, my uh, I don't know that my children Uh have. They I mean, my my son's made me his beneficiary, <laughs> but my children don't have this. And my son Everybody has. over the age of 18. Everybody over the I'm age gonna, of 18. I'm, I'm going to get him on this because he deploys. Uh, <laughs> can soon, he have so. a – can you have a power of attorney for a limited time? Sure. So you could create it so, and then revoke it at any point in time if you wanted. But you okay. still have to revoke it, even if you, you would can't just create it, it that's good for 30 days, it expires. It's You still have to revoke? You, you could create an expiration. I would just always say it's best practice to make sure that it's revoked and that somebody has been given written notice. So let's say your son gave you power of attorney, Christina, and then mm-hmm. he revoked it. You cannot argue that you didn't know that it expired or you didn't know that this because he gave okay. you notice that you you know, yeah. you know were put on, on actual notice that you are no longer his power of attorney. Okay. It's just best practice. Of course, you can create one that would end, but I would always say, you know, cross those T's and dot those This is big. If someone makes you their power of attorney, are there any legal or financial risk to you? Yes, (laughs) because they're your power of attorney. If you've given someone a general power of attorney specifically, they could contract uh, for you. They could take on debts for you. They could act. Oh no! I mean, if you are the person, what do you call the person who's made the power of given the power of attorney? You're the fiduciary. Agent? Yeah, the, the, agent fiduciary. the fiduciary. Is there any risk to the fiduciary? Well, they are operating under the fiduciary laws, particularly here in California. There are fiduciary laws, and so they have mm-hmm. to act in the best interest of the person with whom they've taken this power for. And so they can breach those fiduciary duties, um, and then they could be liable personally. But is there any breach. risks to them? They're only liable if they breach the contract. Yeah, they... I mean, they're not contracting on their own behalf, so their personal estates aren't at risk unless they actually breach their fiduciary duties. Okay, I want to be very clear about that. If someone yeah. asks you to be their power of attorney and make you the fiduciary, you are not at risk or liable for any of their debts or anything right. like that unless you're, you're you not breach co-signing. the contract. Yeah, you're not yeah. co-signing okay. for them as a power of attorney. That is not, that's not what you, you are. You're acting with as that voice said, of a legal agent. Because we've been talking about this with my father. My father's 88 now. And I'm like, maybe somebody else needs to be on his bank account. Maybe somebody, okay, what, how does the power of attorney compare to just adding someone to your bank account? 
pros and cons or does that work together? What, uh, you know, how would that look? So if let's say Gail, you add me onto your bank account, right? I'm a co-owner now and I can, I can sign on your bank account. I can pay bills. I can do all that. You die. Guess who's the sole owner of that bank account? Me, Uh which may not have been what you meant. You might've wanted your children. You just needed someone to help you. No, Um, she she doesn't want our children. (laughs) (laughs) But I just, you know, you've made somebody the co-owner of that account. Whereas a power of attorney is just someone who's legally authorized to transact, um, which is different, right? And some banks will even allow you to do um, a a limited power of attorney specifically for an account. So you just want someone Mm. to come in and be able to be a signer or, you know, have authority. That person, again, their their authority would terminate on death, but they're not an actual owner. Mm. Okay. And on death, it goes to the trustee of the will or the... um, what do you call him? The uh, executor of the will then takes on ability to control that account, right? Or does that all happen automatically? Or what happens when someone does die with their bank account? So if somebody dies in their bank account, typically becomes frozen. Yeah. So they'll, so, they'll put your social security number through. It'll, it'll indicate that you've died. They'll transit, turn it into an estate account. And... Um, that essentially will be frozen. So nobody will be able to transact on that if they're the sole owner, right? Which is why having a trust is so important yeah. because a trust actually continues to live beyond you and your successor trustee just becomes the one who's able to transact on that account. So Whereas if you if do not, not have, trust, okay, so if you are not already on the account and that person passes away and there needs to be things paid out of the trust account, what enables someone to pay things out of the trust account? So your successor trustee would be legally authorized because their authority begins either on your incapacity or your death, right? Mm. They would need to get a new certificate of trust that shows that they are now the, the legal representative for that trust, but then they are able to transact on, on that account. So like the executor of the will would be able to transact out of the estate account. Okay. That's what I understand you'd be saying. Is that correct? And if so, how long does it take? No, right. So an executor is of a will. A successor trustee is of a trust. Mm -hmm. So the executor of a will is named in a will, but for them to get their legal authority, it has to go through probate court. The judge has to give them something called letters testamentary which shows that they are legally able to transact on an estate account. Whereas a successor trustee does not need to go to court to get that authority. Those are the big, those are some big differences between a will and a trust. And can we, can we talk a little bit? Cause I, I did that because the probate in California uh, is horrendous. Harsh. It is. it, It is. It's like, uh, and I don't know if that's everywhere, Portia, because you you operate in different states. So um, I just know that here in California, that is why we were so proactive when dad got sick to make the the trust because it was like all they had was a will back in 1984. You guys, oh my gosh. it was, and it was, oh, it was horrible. It was like, these people, some of them weren't even alive anymore of who was supposed to do whatever. So things have to be updated too, correct? As you gain assets and as 
people pass away, things like that. So two questions, probate and then updating. So go, go Portia. So if you have a will or no estate plan at all, your estate is going to have to go through the probate process, right? Which means either the will needs to be certified by a judge or the court has to determine who the beneficiaries are. In California, an uncontested probate can take about a year. Yeah, it is. <laughs> this door just opened behind me. I was like, ah! Um, I was like, what is so, okay, so uh, let, me, but- let me lay out for people why that's a problem that they're not thinking about. They're thinking, well, if it takes a year to get my million-dollar inheritance, so be it. What you're forgetting is that there are going to be hospital bills, potentially, ambulance bills, potentially, funeral expenses potentially, and somebody's got to pay those. And so until that's probated, nothing can come out of that checking account for the deceased, correct? Well, until there's letters testamentary. So, you know, typically you can pay final expenses out of um, the estate accounts, but what you can't do is you can't rent the properties generally. So let's say somebody Mm -hmm. owns a home and you want to use it as a rental, well, you don't have legal authority to rent that property. What do you do about cleaning it out or um, making sure the property taxes are paid? Sometimes people will need to front that on the front, you know, on the beginning and then try to get recouped through the estate later on down the road. Let's yeah. say you want to sell it, right? Because it's a hot real estate market right now and interest rates are still relatively low, even though they're skyrocketing um, much higher than they've been in the last several years. Let's say you wanted to capitalize that and sell. Well, you don't have the legal authority to do so. And if you're in the probate process, you'd likely need um, court approval to sell anyway. And so there's all of these different pieces in red tape. It's also important to remember for probate that the attorney's fees and the personal representative fees are set by statute in California, in in most states. But California is probably the highest. If you've got a million dollar gross value estate, so everything you own, regardless of how much debt, Let's say you own a million dollar house, but you have a $800,000 mortgage on that house. You really only have $200,000 of equity, right? Mm. But your fees are set on the gross value. So you're going to pay almost $50,000 in just attorney's fees and personal representative fees by statute. That's a quarter of the equity that could have gone to your family and that's just two things. You haven't paid a, You haven't paid court fees. You haven't mm-hmm. made accounting fees. You haven't done publication. You haven't paid any creditors. Like nothing else has happened, and you've lost a quarter of your family's equity just by going through this this probate process. And so probate in and of itself, people are like, oh, it's not that bad. It's horrible, and yeah. it's what's costing American families two billion dollars annually. Yeah, and I have a I have a friend. He lost both of his parents. Um. And his mom had all of her stuff, you know, ready to go. His dad didn't. And his dad passed over seven years ago and he's still going through the probate process. He's like, there's, there's nothing left. Yeah. I just want it to be done. But what do you do? Now, let me, let me insert here. I'm in the deep South and things are a little bit different here. My friend's mom just passed in Georgia 
everything was closed in a, including her ability to sell her mom's home in like 60 days. So just so people don't freak out and think everything is like California, it's not, but you need to know, you need to know mm-hmm. what the rules are in your state. Cause it could be like California. It could be like Georgia. It could be totally different from either two. So I want you to say that number again, probate cost American families to, did you say billion with a B? <laughs> yep. Approximately $2 billion annually. Wow. Okay. So share with us the difference in a will and probate and setting it up as a trust. So, so a will is, is really just a distribution document, right? It says where your stuff goes. A trust is also a distribution uh, document, but one way to think about it is like a company, right? It's the company of you. It's an actual legal entity. When you own property, your trust is on the deed, not your name individually. So when you pass away, your trust still exists. And the people that you've designated to take care of the, that, those property and that trust have the authority already by contract. You don't need a judge to transfer title. Probate is about transferring title to asset. So if you have a house and it's in my name, Portia M. Wood, right? And, and it's my name and I pass away, nobody can sign my name anymore. There's no more powers of attorney that exist. Nobody can sign my name. The only person or entity that can get my house out of my name and into my son's name is the court. It's the judge. And it's it's the court of your state. So if I own property in California, Maryland, D.C., Virginia, Georgia, I need a judge in each one of those states mm-hmm. to transfer that property into my beneficiary's names. So if you have a will, while it is great to say where things go, it still requires court inter- interference and intervention. If you have a trust, it can be private. It can be separate. Nobody gets to know what your beneficiaries are receiving or who your beneficiaries are. Um, you can put all kinds of restrictions, right? I Restrictions on sale of property, incentive provisions for kids. You know, if my son graduates from high school at the top of his class. He gets a little bit Ooh, of money see? outright just to do stuff. That that know? point program. See, I've got a point program right point with program. my children and potential heirs. <laughs> she loves talking they about get this. Addiction. They get additions or deductions based on behavior, accomplishment, sucking up to me, those kind of things. And Giving so her I good like gifts. This. Because you know. I could say refer to the points, you know, it, it's a joke, but some of them taking it very seriously um, about accumulating points and some of them have not taken it seriously and they are losing points. But, you know, I like <laughs> that you be able to direct based on circumstances at the time, because mm-hmm. it, you may have a child who says, if any of my children are unwed at the time. Maybe they don't have a partner or, you know, you could discern different, like, especially if you have maybe a daughter who is unwed and you know that, you know, a single woman's going to have a harder time than a single male. You could put stipulations in there. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's interesting. So that's the difference in a will and a trust. Now, Do either one of those better protect the heirs from all these capital gains, taxes, estate taxes, all this, the 99 ways the government's getting your wealth back? (laughs) So from an estate tax perspective, we are currently operating in one of the highest estate tax exemptions ever to exist. Uh, In 2018, Donald Trump's tax plan doubled the federal estate tax exemption. 
So we're at about $12 million can pass estate tax-free per person, essentially. Um, and California, like many other states, do not have a state estate tax. So we're only operating under that federal level, which means you can pass a lot of wealth estate tax-free. It's not okay, so Okay, so we're much. good right now. Right now. Now, that's set to sunset in 2025. So we'll have to see what they actually do with the estate tax. Because that's what that keeps point. coming up in these, you know, I keep hearing they're going to repeal this, they're going to do it. And I'm like, uh. So, okay. Now, <laughs> also, when you think about transferring wealth, I know in a state that I lived in, there mm-hmm. was a one-time gift exception. I don't know what mm-hmm. it was called. Can you speak to that? So there's a gift tax exemption that you can do. So uh, on an annual basis, you can give up to about, you know, I think it's $15,000 per person. So if you're married, you can give up to $30,000 to a kid, right? Um, and then each kid can get that if you want it on an annual basis without having to pay taxes on those gifts. You can also do advances on inheritance if you wanted to. You can start to get, we could get into more complex estate planning, right? You could start to set up irrevocable trusts and other things and put assets in different places. Um, it can get very complex, right? Depending on what somebody's individual needs are. And that can help reduce um, any estate tax that might come in the future. So if someone is, you know, at the $12 million mark or above the $5 million mark and, and they're worried that it's going to come down pretty significantly, then they might start to utilize some of these other tactics to get that those assets out of their estate okay. before the exemption yeah. goes goes down. Okay, that's kind of what I was getting at. That I've I'd heard you can give some things out ahead of time. Gail, okay. I don't think I don't think we're at the twelve million mark yet, honey. It's I think we're good. No, <laughs> but there's been time, money. No, I know. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Have, you been, have you been in my purse? No. <laughs> no. But I, there are times that we have had, you know, serious risk to people who are inheriting that, you know, we'd always hear you're going to lose 25% straight off the bat. And if they mm-hmm. repeal this, you know, every time there's an opportunity for, you know, the politicians to change the law, you don't know from season to season. And if you want to make sure your kids and if your kids have needs, now, you know, some people want to give to their kids early and these, um, you know, rules about being able to gift them annually. Sometimes that can be a big benefit to help them buy their first home or, um, you know, some of those things before you die. Because I think it would be cool to see my children enjoy some of my inheritance if there's anything left, um, you know, before then, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that people do, in addition to gifting, right, is consolidating. So we know that the SECURE Act passed in 2019. It was a bipartisan act. But it changed um, the way retirement accounts pass to the next generation. So we used to be able to get this lifetime stretch on our retirement accounts. So, Gail, let's say you inherited a, a 401k or an IRA from your parents, you could roll it over into what was called an inherited IRA. And you could literally let that stretch out and keep growing until you had to take, you know, required uh, maximum distributions, right? When you hit retirement age, you imagine how much money, right? Compounding interest continuing to grow. That would be if you had another 30, 40 years on that money to grow, it's going to be substantially more than what was actually left to you, right? If Mm -hmm. you had opted to roll it over versus take it out. 
Nowadays, you can't do that. Under the SECURE Act, you can roll it over, but you must take it all out within 10 years. And that means we're likely going to be taking it out in our higher earning capacity years, which means we're likely going to pay more taxes on that money. Also, it's had less time to grow because you know how compounding interest works, right? The more time, the more growth. If you only have 10 years, you're not going to see that same return. And so what some people are doing is the parents who have created these retirement accounts who are of retirement age are taking those funds and sort of reallocating them into other assets that have a better benefit on, on inheritance. So they're looking at real estate, they're looking at land, they're looking at other things that have a, lo- a better stretch and a better tax strategy on the back end. So they're taking out the retirements, which are no longer a great vehicle for children, and moving it into, into other, um, other vehicles that have a better inheritance. Yeah, the land thing is a really... That's, Especially that's, when interest rates were so low, right? Yeah, because yeah. when you take it out and you put it over there and it's a loan, loans yeah. are, you know, you're not taxed on that loan. Um, that's right. And then you could go back and re-leverage it, right? So let's say yep. you paid it off in cash and then you put a yep. mortgage on it, you got your cash back, but that cash was tax-free. Like, so there's all of these, these vehicles that people have been utilizing now that these laws have changed. Yeah. But most people don't even know that that law changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, years, that's the thing right? is, you cannot keep up. I'm still afraid those little greedy people are going to get part of any inheritance. But honestly, my dad's mad at me, so I may not be getting anything. So I need to just pop down <laughs> over here. Um, I may have to be begging my brother to give me some. So when we look at distribution plans, um, trust, all these things, I think it's important that we're really careful and we're really specific because I think the first mm-hmm. thing we all think is leave this to my husband, leave this to my wife mm-hmm. if if they're still living. And mm-hmm. I've seen some situations where that went horribly wrong, especially if that spouse is not the biological parent to the children who may be involved. Um, I know someone, again, got a lot of stories here. The, the man died. He left his anything he had to the wife. Then when the wife died, she left anything that was left to her daughter and nothing to the sons of the gentleman. Even wow. though some of those things were things he owned, but he legally left it to her and she legally did what she wanted. That would have never been his intention. But once he was gone, she got to do whatever she wanted. So these things can go directions you never think of as and it's hard you know, to think when, of all the situations that could occur. In love. Yeah, but Gail, when people are alive and in love and you've got your spouse, there's no way you're going to say, I think that if I'm gone, you're going to disinherit my children, right? Because of course the conversation is, of course I'll take care of them. But then after they're gone, maybe in the first year they keep some connection, but maybe by year 10, Right. They're like, oh, no, I don't even talk to them anymore. Why would I leave them anything? It's, at yeah. this point, it's mine. It's not ours anymore. Can there be any directive with, like, it, can your will say, this goes to my spouse, but on the spouse's death, anything that she had, how would you, how can you protect so yourself there? That wouldn't be your will. That wouldn't be your trust. That would be your trust. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That would be your trust where, you you know, you yeah, have you break a, it up. A, a married trust upon the first spouse to pass away. You'd, you'd break it down into an AB. So you'd have the living spouse mm-hmm. or surviving spouse's trust and you'd have 
the family trust or the deceased spouse's trust. And, yeah. and you'd fund them both. The deceased spouse's trust would be irrevocable as to their beneficiaries. And it may still be the surviving spouse is a beneficiary, but this, the secondary beneficiaries would be that spouse's children or however they've designated because you've got to keep it in that bucket, right? If you've, if mm-hmm. you've moved it over into someone's personal estate by a will and you've said this, you know, my spouse gets it, right. it's theirs. You don't have any more control over what happens to it. You, got it. You Once gave it's it to done. them, it's theirs. Yeah. Once it's done. it's done, it's done. And so, you know, the, when we're in blended families, and this is why for distribution plan, it matters what your family structure is, especially if you're in a blended family or you've got a child with special needs or you've got minor children or you're a single person. You may want stipulations on where this goes. You might want to just create a pot for every new child, every every niece or nephew to have a little bit of something going forward, right? And so in order to create that kind of structure, you have to have an entity that exists. If you just put it in your will, you're, you're essentially giving it to someone. Now you yeah. can do testamentary wills, which essentially is a will that creates a trust for the benefit of the beneficiaries. Um, but really depending on the circumstances, that's probably not going to be the best route to go. Yeah. Um, so again, it's circumstantial. So really quickly on, in our trust, you know, because my husband and I are blended family, um, our attorneys had us basically dictate, you know, just kind of like write out, we have like this special little sheet within our trust. I mean, we have a whole binder and the kids know where it's at. They, this is, these are our wishes. This is what we do. Um, but in there, we've both listed out what each kid gets on the, uh, in case I pass, in case he passes, um, there's things that, that they get upon our death. Everything else though, will just be transferred either to him or to, to me, just depending on, you know, what happens. How it all works <laughs> out. But yeah, and right. people do that a lot, right? Where it's like yeah. on the death of Trustor One, who maybe is the biological mother, Right. Um, I want certain things to go there. And maybe that's the clothes in my closet. Cause what's, what would your husband do with all of your clothes? And if you've right. got a daughter, why not pass those immediately? Um, the other thing that people do is they leverage life insurance in these situations. If they've got blended uh, in a blended family and particularly a child who's significantly older, and maybe they also have younger mm-hmm. kids from this new marriage, they may want to make sure that there is something specific that goes to that older child right away when their biological parent dies, because the younger kids are going to need so much of the estate, you know, to get to the benefit that that older child has received. So it's also a great place for life insurance. When we talk about estate planning, it is not just about a compilation of documents. It is really about understanding your family structure and your family's goals, and then putting all of these different pieces into place. So the life insurance structure, the the wealth management, the CPA or your tax professional to come in and look at this. It's an ecosystem and everybody's ecosystem is built out differently depending on who they are and what their needs are. We as women are typically the last deciders for what happens with our family wealth because we tend to live you know, 10 to 12 years beyond male partners and, and oftentimes opting not to even engage in marriage at all or divorcing and being single women and and the heads of households. And so we end up being the people who decide what happens. Really the, the, the cruise director, if you will, steering the ship for our families. And we've got to get educated because much like we talked about historically and systematically marginalized communities in the beginning, 
dealing with my, uh, minorities specifically, women are a part of that group. We have historically and systematically been kept out of inheritance in this country uh, for generations. In fact, we weren't even allowed to inherit in the very beginning. That's right. That's right. Um, I mean, in our lifetimes, well, not my lifetime, but in my mother's lifetime, women were not even allowed to have their own bank accounts. Mm, And so when you think about that as a concept, that was not that long ago. We couldn't have credit cards in our own names. We couldn't have bank accounts in our own names without the permission of our husbands or our fathers. And so when we think about the fact that we are the ones who end up making the decision about what happens with our family finances, this is a really unique position. And we have to understand what all of the pieces are and build out our teams intentionally. Yeah. Okay. I've got a good question. This is a good one. You ready for it? Okay. With a trust, if you created a trust, could you... Let say that my husband out survives me. Could I say in my trust that he gets to draw X amount per year until he remarries? Um, yes and no. It would depend, right? Uh, if you're talking about he can draw X amount, is that from your separate property? If so, you can absolutely put that in there. Um, yeah, say that joint- I make a million dollars here at Midlife Moxie. We get, <laughs> Christine and I just, we have our merchandise and our events and somebody wants to buy out our name and hire us as on-screen personalities. We make millions of dollars. We are just putting that in the air, by the way, so that everybody who's listening, we should do that for them. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> uh, could I say in a trust that my husband can live, he can have the part that's mine if I've kept it as mine solely, but that if he gets remarried, she can't have it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so, yes and no. <laughs> in your scenario here, you are doing something and building a company that is during marriage. So much like in mm-hmm. California and other states, it's community or marital community property. property. And so while it is from your separate labor, right, and people might even put it in their separate bank accounts, that does not make it separate property. Um, and so he may be entitled to 100% of what you're doing, just based on, you know, I don't know if you guys have prenuptial agreements or any of these other things, but he'd likely be entitled to 100% of what you have going on. Now, mm-hmm. you guys can agree in an estate plan that, you know, you're going to divide your estate up in these different ways. And you can require that the surviving spouse get a prenuptial agreement with a new spouse that specifically disclaims um, some of these assets going forward, that they say they know that that will never become a part of the new community for the benefit of any kids. But you're not necessarily going to be able to stop him unilaterally uh, from having access to what would be essentially community or marital property. I just had to ask that question because I know there's women out there. I mean, Mm -hmm. my husband says that I'm so irreplaceable. He'll never be marrying after me that he's done. No, I think it's more, he may be worn out with having a wife, but um, (laughs) I just had to ask that because I know there's going to be people out there thinking that I don't want any other woman getting my money. Well, hundred percent. And you can protect that. (laughs) And I, I can do. And I'll say this. So my husband had his business prior to us being married and we put a clause in our, no, we put a girl, 
No, we put a clause in. <laughs> <I know>. our, <laughs> we put a clause in our um, um, a trust, so he didn't roll it in. But it's like basically the intent. Um, I can't remember the languaging, so it will. Basically, I have a leg to stand on if something happens. You getting a piece so of that ch- pie, girl? Woo! Yes, I do. She does got big calves. <laughs> Portia's like, lines. I don't like that languaging. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your face. You're in California. You might be needing to call Portia. Okay, here's here's where I want to land the plane on all this. Beyond the fact that it's just kind of a little bit emotionally a downer to think about our death. You know, the opposite side of that, we need to be empowered to plan what life looks like around our death and after our death. So let's see, that is empowering, but also cost. If someone goes to an attorney and asks for these documents to be drawn up, and we're not talking about millions of dollars, we're talking, let's talk about average family income. You got a home, a couple of cars, you're not trying to pass down a business, you've liquidated the 401ks and the excuse me, the, the other investments and say we're only dealing in cash. So let's say for an average, you know, couple going to an attorney and asking for these documents to be prepared, what kind of money are we talking about? Is this hundreds or thousands? So I will, I would rebut on average. There is no such thing as average when we're doing estate planning everybody's situation is is very different. We are talking about in the thousands, though. It's not in the hundreds. It is likely going to be under, you know, under $7,000, right? But um, but it is going to be in the thousands for getting the trust and things like that set up. The flip side of that, particularly for a state like California, the quote-unquote average family with one piece of real estate is going to require a probate if they don't have a trust. And what we know about probate is that you can be looking at thirty and forty thousand dollars lost from your family just by going through that process, mm. if not more. And so, you know, it's hard to to balance the cost because you have to know what you're up against, which is why yeah. each family situation is is really different. It's also going to okay, depend if, on goals. <laughs> what if someone doesn't have thousands in cash laying around to go get these documents? What are the what's the cheapest way you can protect yourself? I know that's not what an attorney wants to hear, but let's just get real. A lot of people aren't going to pop out six, seven thousand dollars. So, any options that you can protect yourself for less? Can you do this a piece at a time? And if so, what's the priority? What would you say? Or is it just really better to do it all at once? You kind of have to do it. Right. Because, Gail, let's say we create a trust for you and you say, I'm going to wait on my powers of attorney. And then you're in a car accident. Now we've got to go to a conservatorship because you don't have somebody set up to legally take care of your stuff. Or let's do it in that in reverse. And let's say you get a power of attorney, but you don't do your distribution documents and then you die. Now, the powers of attorney are moot because you're, you're gone and you don't have a distribution plan. So now you're in probate court. You can't do it piecemeal unfortunately. And it's one of those things that you need to do on the front end before you need it. Because once you need it, it's too late to get it. Uh, And you're you're sort of stuck in that process. Um, It's one of those things where it's like, you kind of got to make the investment. You've got to make sure that you're finding someone who can do it right. The last thing you want is a plan that is incomplete or improperly executed because you're worrying about cost. And then now you've created a plan and it doesn't work because it's incomplete at, or not properly executed or the language is wrong or it's confusing and conflicting, which is what we see with some of those 
do-it-yourself um, systems is it's yeah. just not complete for people's families. And then we end up having to litigate them in court. And now you've spent money on doing it and you're in court and you're, you're in court litigating. It just ends up being so much more expensive on the back end if you just do it right the first time. Yeah, I, I wanted to like mention that legal Zoom stuff. Legal Zoom is is good for a, a time and a place and a purpose, I think. Um, but when you're dealing with something like this, I, I want to encourage everybody just because on my dad's deathbed is when we had him signing his trust. I mean, it was just like once he got better, came home not literally on his deathbed, but it was just like, we had to get it done. So my mom was protected and you know what, just do it the right way. You know, whatever you need to do to go and get it done, do it the right way. Um, I just really want to encourage people to do that because you just never know. And to be wrapped up in probate, I I watched my mom go through that, the probate period with, um, my grandparents' estate and it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And my mom was the, well, is the oldest. So she had to, you know, bear that burden. And I didn't want that for my, my mom after my dad passed. And I sure didn't want that for me or my sister. So I, I just, okay, let me you ask know. this. What do you say to the person out there who says, I really don't have a lot of assets. So this mm. is not necessary for me. We all have more than we think. Right. Wealth. That's um, good news. Needs to That's be, good news. Yeah. <laughs> wealth has to be redefined, Gail. It has to be redefined, right? Because people think of wealth and they think Jeff Bezos, they think Elon Musk. And yes, those are incredibly, fabulously wealthy people. But wealth is opportunity. Wealth is access. That one home that you have that you can pass to your kids has the ability to generate wealth. Why? Because it's an asset you can leverage against that. Your kids can get a step up in tax basis on that from a capital gains. I know you mentioned that one. We're not going to go into taxes right now because I know we're landing our plane. But if they can get a tenant in that that property and they can take money out, let's say they get a a refinance and they take out $200,000 and that tenant repays that loan, your kids have $200,000 to put on a down payment someplace else, to pay for education, to start a business, all of these things that somebody else is paying for. So not only do they not are they able to do it once, They're able to do it every 15 years or so. You've created an income generating asset because not only is the mortgage being paid, but there's tax-free distribution from the refinance. So they get to take out large chunks of money tax-free that somebody else is paying back all because you created a system for them. So something may create more wealth than you anticipate. Okay, we've got like two minutes left. (laughs) So in that two minutes... Okay, tell them how they can reach you if they're in any any of your states. If they're in a different state, exactly the person that they want to seek out. What what would that person be called? What are the acceptable people they're looking for? Yeah, okay. So we are Wood Legal Group, uh, woodlegalgroup.com, Wood Legal Group on Instagram. Uh, We have Black Trust Fund Kids on Clubhouse and TikTok. We do webinars every month in our um, in our office. So if you just go to our, our website, you can find more information there. We also are, have a list of attorneys around the country. So if you just reach out to us, if we are not in your state, we mm. can send you a referral to someone that is just to get you Ooh, connected. Uh, we also have a free resource library. So it's just woodlegalgroup.com slash access resource library. 
And you can go there from our homepage as well, but it's got a lot of resources. The first place to start is to get educated. We don't know what we don't know, and you don't know what to ask for. You don't know what questions to ask. You don't even know what these terms mean. They're thrown away around crazy, and you don't know what they get you and don't get you. Gosh, Portia, you are a wealth of knowledge, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Ian. Would you be willing to come back in the future? Share with us again? Yeah, I would love we want to, to make you one so of our Moxie fun. partners. We Ooh. we really try to collect people who are experts in their fields and that we think serve our midlife population, and we want it to be you know a win for both parties. So I think we can um, invite you into the family and have you be a part. So we're going to be in contact with you. For our listeners, that's WoodLegalGroup.com. Please reach out, um, get yourself some free resources and protect what you have, even if it's a little or it's a lot. If you're seeking heirs and don't have any, Christina and I are available. Um, But (laughs) until next time, what do we always say, Christina? Go and get your moxie on. Thank you so much, Portia, and thanks to our listeners for being with us, and we'll see you next time. Bye.